Welcome to Abiding in Hope, a co-production of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio in Columbus, Ohio, and St. Rose of Lima Radio in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I'm Marianne Jepson, clinical counselor in Columbus, Ohio, and... I'm Father John Sims Baker, the pastor of St. Rose of Lima in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Hey, Father, give a little shout-out about your radio station there. I think it's pretty cool. It's right from the parish. It is, St. Rose Radio here in uh, Murfreesboro, covering Rutherford County, Tennessee. And uh, actually, we transmit, or whatever, from the tower of the church, believe it or not. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah. And and Father has the coolest um, headset that's ever been seen or known to man. Flashes, red lights. Yeah, Marianne's very jealous of it because it changes color and it's it's really cool. It's just I have plain black. That's it. (laughs) But anyway... I get to We're wear flashy clothes. At, at Rose Radio. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, how about you uh, You start us off with a prayer, Father? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you and bless you and glorify you and thank you. Offer everything into your hands, lift it up to you today uh, to just bless and approve and accept um, everything that we offer to you so that it might be united uh, with the offering of your Son for your glory and for the salvation of souls, so that even the smallest thing we do today may be of the greatest significance. And we ask all these prayers through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask the intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray together. Hail Mary, Mary, full full of grace, grace, the Lord Lord is with with thee. thee. Blessed, blessed art thou among, among women, and blessed, blessed is, the is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Gabriel, pray for us. Saint Rose of Lima, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. I want to remind um, all of our listeners that you can catch the archives of Abiding in Hope on com under Abiding in Hope in the archives section. It's right there across the, the top of the screen. and uh, Or maybe it's on the side. I'm not sure. Sometimes it moves. And um, also, I um, you can catch it at abidinginhope.com. And that is also where you send your questions, of which we are so grateful. And I know that other listeners are as well, because we hear about it. So thank you so much. Um, Father, are you ready for the first question? Sitting already. Rocking, rocking on, on go. Okay, here we go. I was talking with my family and my grandchildren ask about my marriage. So here are the facts. At the time of our marriage, I was not Catholic, but I met with a priest several times for instruction before our marriage. We were married by a priest in a Catholic church with several attendants. The following Easter, I entered the church. A family member said that after I became Catholic, we should have had the marriage again in the church since I wasn't Catholic at the time of our marriage. Our 55th wedding anniversary is next month, and now I'm questioning whether our marriage is valid. Since my husband has advanced Alzheimer's, having another wedding in the church is pretty much not an option. Father, this is your ballpark here. Yes, and God bless you. Sorry for you to have that worry. So let me just put you at ease right now. Your marriage is valid, okay? And God bless you for your witness of 55 years. That's... uh, that is just absolutely 
absolutely beautiful. And um, let this just be a warning to all of our listeners and all of ourselves or whatever. Please don't put something like this on other people, okay? <laughs> this is like, yeah. uh, this is a, that, how, you know, what a, what a what a burden to place on someone um you know uh, the fact that this marriage uh, well let's just back up a little bit about the theology of marriage because it's very interesting you know the the sacraments uh the catechism defines uh the sacraments in this way it says the sacraments are a sacrament is an efficacious sign instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church by which divine life is shared with us. So the part I want to focus in on that right now is the entrusted to the church part, okay? Mm -hmm. So all the sacraments were instituted by Jesus Christ while he was here on earth in the incarnation. And he entrusted those to the church. The church is then to administer the sacraments and, you know, determines what's valid or invalid or licit or illicit or whatever about a, a sacrament, how they're to be. Now, some of the sacraments, the way they're actually celebrated, are are pretty clear from the institution that we know of them by Christ himself. I mean, like, for example, baptism. Jesus, you know, the, 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 the pouring of water and the Trinitarian formula, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. That's absolutely necessary for, for validity. The the Eucharist is another sacrament that the that the form is pretty clear. I mean the the the, the material aspects of it are uh, are pretty clear from the institution of it that we know from sacred scripture. But marriage is one of those sacraments that we don't necessarily have uh, very clear the 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 the, 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 the outward celebration of, of marriage, and so the church has, you know, sort of pretty much maximum latitude in, in regulating that. And the church basically recognizes marriages very broadly, you know, um, except in the case of, of people who are Catholics, um, mm-hmm. where the church has more precise regulation. Uh, and it sounds like from this, in this question, that, that, that this, even though this lady was not a, this person who asked the question was not a uh, Catholic at the time, uh, her spouse was. And it sounds like they, they followed the church's guidance on this. The, the church says that Catholics are to be married in the church, to be prepared for marriage, uh, and all, under church auspices, and to be married in the church. Um, or to have a dispensation so that they are married outside, you know, in a, in another church. And it seems that that's exactly what happened in this case. They were uh, they had Catholic instruction before marriage. They were married by a priest in the Catholic Church. Uh, so this was uh, a, a a valid Catholic wedding, undoubtedly with the you know permission for a, an ecumenical marriage uh, at that time. Although she uh, this the questioner later, as she said, entered the entered the entered the church. So. Uh, this was, uh, you know, done completely in accordance with what the church asks of people, uh, even people who are are, are Catholic. And so, uh, so this was a completely, you know, valid and licit. It sounds sounding uh, marriage um, in the eyes of the church. So, um, 
like I said, the church broadly recognizes marriages of people even outside of the church. Marriage between any two baptized people um, can be a sacrament, you know, and is a sa- is presumed to be a sacrament by the church actually. As long as the, the you know the form and the directions of the church are 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 followed, so I, I hope that answers some question there or helps to some extent. Yeah, I think that's that's really good, and and I agree with you. That's kind of a, a heavy thing to lay on someone on their fifty fifth uh, around the time of their fifty fifth wedding anniversary with a husband that has advanced Alzheimer's. You know, I would ask for charity amongst people too, and and. Um, not to do such a thing, but maybe it was all in goodwill. She was probably worried that her he would die, and who knows, whatever. Um, but well, I think it's just there's just frankly there's just a lot of confusion about um, you know about marriage and, yeah. and that sort of thing, and yeah. that's you know understandable. But I think in this case, you know this this. This couple did all the things that the church asks of you to do. So, right. uh, so, yeah. So I think there's probably a lot of people listening that could relate in some way to this or have questions similar to this in one way or another. So, Father, you said, um, and, and I'm just going to throw this out there as um, I think people also have a question you mentioned between two baptized people that come to the church. Right. What would the scenario be for um, a person who um, is baptized? Not bap- is oh. it, yes, um, a a Catholic who is um, wanting to marry someone who is not baptized but right. marry in the church, and that person is not at this moment. Baptized. Uh, yes, or even maybe w- desiring baptism. Right. Well, and, and that, that you, you can get a dispensation for that. It's called a dispensation for disparity of cult. Okay. That's quite mm-hmm. a, but you would need to, you, you, and you would have to have a dispensation as a yeah. Catholic to mm-hmm. marry in that circumstance. But interestingly, uh, e- even if you married that way and that, the spouse who was unbaptized later was baptized, did enter the church, yes. for example, Yes. then the, the, the marriage automatically becomes a sacrament. You don't have to go back and do anything else. It automatically becomes a sacrament. Good. Yes. <laughs> it's, so um, once the other, uh, that par- other party is, is, uh, is baptized. So, um, the other thing, though, too, is if people – I'll look at it from the other side, maybe just throw this out there because as a uh-huh. parish priest, you run into this a lot. Sometimes people who perhaps have not been married in the church, Catholics, or you know, didn't get a dispensation they needed or weren't prepared, you know, whatever it is, um, very often that can be uh, recognized in the church. But you do need to come to the – uh, maybe come to your pastor, and and sometimes it doesn't even take another um, ceremony at all. There's a process called radical sanation mm-hmm. um, that is not very complicated. Uh, that in some cases uh, it's all very fact dependent, so you'd have to go talk to your priest about it. But perhaps if you fall into the category of someone who did marry outside of the church um, and would like to have your your, your marriage recognized, um, that's another. Uh, approach. So, but 
you really need to go talk to your to your parish about that. Yeah, which I, which is always the best advice is to go because even I, I mean, you know, if it was a civil ceremony that was a marriage and there was no sort of Christian ceremony at all, that requires a a, a, a Catholic. Well, actually, you probably you can have that senated. Actually, oh, you can. Have uh, that I mean, it's possible. Yeah. Oh, so, okay, but it's all very yeah. fact specific. So, yep. go talk to your pastor about it. That's the way to do it. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Amen to that. But please do. Don't give up. Sometimes people are surprised. They think, they think oh, I, I never knew my, my marriage could be recognized in the church. And yeah, so. and so they worry about it, and they think that the church will turn against them, and they think that mm-hmm. they're big sinners, and not you're not welcome back there. Or something. That's not the truth at all. And um, th- this is a, a church of love and mercy, and um, we want you back. We want you all right. back. So come back, just go knock on that Catholic church. I've had that happen, actually, um, at one of the parishes where I was working. There was someone who was driving by, and they they said they needed to talk to someone. Well, the pastor wasn't there at the time, and so the, the receptionist says, well, you can go talk to Mary Ann. And, <laughs> She's a good talker. <laughs> and, and so, lo and behold, it was like, oh, no, you have, you know, it was a similar type of thing like this, and I said, well, I'm not the one that makes the decisions on these things, certainly, but I can tell you that, yes, we want you back. You just need to talk to the priest. And, well, I'm, you know, and I, I was able to answer a lot of questions, but it was really, it was such a blessing. This woman just driving by and saw the Catholic Church and at that moment was inspired to pull in the, and, and knock on the door, ring the doorbell. And there we are. So, um, I pray for her and her husband and that all is well, and I do believe it is. So anyway, um, I guess we've covered that one, Father. That was a very good question again and led to a great discussion. Um, If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Abiding in Hope, a co-production of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio in Columbus, Ohio, and St. Rose of Lima Radio in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I'm Marianne Jepson, clinical counselor in Columbus. And I'm Father John Sims Baker in Murfreesboro. Yes, so um, please do send your questions to abidinginhope.com. We love them, and we're so grateful for them. Our next question, Father. I'm having difficulty with the age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? My mother was sick with MS most of my life. I prayed for her recovery, which never happened. I wondered, was she being punished for something? Was I being punished for something? Did I not pray enough? Was I to learn something from this situation at my mother's expense? These questions have bothered me most of my life, resulting in anger at God at times. Later in life, my daughter lost a a child late in her pregnancy. I asked the same questions then as before. At this point in my life, I realize that everyone has sorrows in their lives that they have to deal with, but then my last question is, why pray? These events are all part of God's plan. How are we to understand this? That, again, is for you, Father. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad for that. (laughs) Wow. I shouldn't be laughing. This is very, very profound. No, it is. It's a profound. And it's actually the question I tell a lot of young people that I've dealt with. I said, you know, until you've asked this question, actually, I don't think you're really – you know, and wrestled with it a long time. Yeah. I, I don't think you're really spiritually mature yet, you know, probably, yeah. unless you're just extremely holy. <laughs> but, well, 
the, the, and, and this is going to sound like the greatest cop-out ever, but the ultimate answer to this question is that it is a, it's a mystery, ultimately. Uh, there is not a definitive answer to this question. And what it brings up fundamentally is a conflict between, um, you know, basically God's, you know, it's see a seeming conflict between um, God's goodness and God's omnipotence and the reality of, of free will and the consequences of that, you know, sin in our world. And the things that flow from that, um, that seem to either necessitate our saying that either God is not all good, or He's not all powerful, one or the other. You know, because um, if He were all powerful, He could, you know, just take care of this. And if He were all good, He would, you know, and somehow or another, either He's not good or He's not powerful, one or the other. You know, and. Mm-hmm. But the truth he is, is, is he is good and he is powerful. Um, but he does permit this. Um, these, uh, and, and so why is that? And that's the question that we have, our question or ask, which is, again, one of the most profound questions you know, of, of, human, of humanity all through the ages. You know, the, one of the longest books in the Bible is all about this question, the book of Job, you know, in the Old, Old Testament. That's mm-hmm. what... That's what it's basically all about. And um, I encourage you to read the book of Job. It's, it's profound and beautiful. And, you know, there are these people that come along to comfort Job, supposedly these friend of his. Well, heaven help us from, the, from Job. people like Job's comforters. They're not much comfort. And it's interesting. When they finish up, God finally speaks and God says um, to the comforters, you have not spoken well of me, as has my servant Job. Job, the one who's asking the questions, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or, not, no, or not content with the pat answers that the, the comforters are giving. And so... Um, at the end of the day, then God speaks, and he launches off into this beautiful, beautiful sort of um, where he starts going on. He, he asks Job a lot of questions, and he says, well, Job, where were you when I did this and when I did that? And it, 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 it shows you that the author of the book of Job knew an awful lot about the natural world. It's beautiful, all these beautiful things. He's like, you know, these different wonders of the world. Where were you when I did this, and where were you when I did this? And and basically, you know, what he does is, what God does is he gets to the end of this and he basically says, and this ties into another question we've had <laughs> earlier, but um, I think in another show, but where basically God says, well, Job, the answer is I'm God and you're not. <laughs> he doesn't say it that bluntly. He mm-hmm. says it in a lot more beautiful and poetic way, but that's pretty much what it is. And guess what? Job says, okay. <laughs> he accepts that answer, which is really an amazing thing. 
But it's not the kind of answer we're looking for. It's not the kind of answer I think our questioner is looking for. And I think that most of the people, most of us, you know, when we're thinking about this are, are you know, it's not the thing we're looking for, though, actually, that, that we get is <laughs> from is really the cross. That's the only thing that God has to say any more about this question. And basically that answer, again, it's in some ways no more satisfying or no more direct. It still is just as mysterious of an answer. But the answer is, I suffer. I mean, if there's innocent suffering, who less deserve to suffer than Jesus Christ. You know, nobody ever discerned to suffer any less than he did. So um, that's the, that, you know, and that's the end. But his suffering is exactly the means of, of our salvation. His suffering is exactly the means by which he accomplished the will of the Father. And so it means, what it means is that suffering has meaning. And not only has meaning, has the greatest meaning of anything in the world, really. And I think that's what we find troubling is that, um, is, this, is that it seems that the kind of suffering that this questioner is writing about seems to, to, to deprive life of meaning. It seems meaningless. But what we know from the suffering of Christ, which also externally seemed meaningless, was though that it was the accomplishment of the will of the Father and the accomplishment of our salvation through the human suffering of Jesus Christ. And that we can unite our sufferings to his for the same purpose, to glorify the Father and to save souls. And so, um, again, it's not the kind of answer we're looking for, but it means that suffering, far from being meaningless, is the most meaningful thing there is in this world. And that those who suffer, if they will offer their sufferings in union with those of Jesus Christ, it's the greatest thing they can ever do. Um, it's what's so nice like about a, a morning offering where we go in and just offer everything to God right off the bat, including and maybe especially our suffering. Now, again, I hope that doesn't sound like a, a cop-out of an answer, but I, I think it's something that those who are suffering, if they know that what they're doing is important, it's the way that God has saved us and the way that he allows us to share in that. So it's of eternal significance. And, you know, not many things that we do in the day, apart from uniting them to, to what Jesus did on the cross, are of eternal significance. Obviously, the last question then, too, that the questioner has there is, why pray? Well, you know, we want to pray as Jesus prayed always. You know, he, he even prayed that maybe this cup might pass from him, but not my will, but yours be done. So when we pray, what we want to pray for is the will of the Father. That's what we want to pray for. We can ask whatever we want, and we should, and we can. God doesn't mind that. God was pleased with Job for his questions. But, uh, but at the end of the day, we have to, to, to say, but not my will, but yours be done. Mm-hmm. 
And I think, um, you know, there's a certain um, tone of despair a bit in this, you know, when asking that question. And Second Corinthians says we are experiencing trouble on every side, but are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are knocked down, but not destroyed, always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our body. And so, you know, just my simple thought on this is to avoid despair Keep things like this, the Second Corinthians quote, Second Corinthians four, um, in mind that because we're walking this journey on earth and because of original sin, we're going to have sufferings. In this world we will have sufferings, we know that. And um what I mean, if you looked at it, you know, kind of philosophically and said, Well, I mean we're told to pray as Jesus prayed, right? So what if we don't pray? Well, you know, good heavens, maybe we should just pray because what are the consequences if we don't pray? We don't want to get to the end and find out, well, if I didn't pray, you know, there there could be worse things that happen. That's giving up. But it, those who did pray, what if we find that those who did pray had more blessings or they could, you could see the blessings then. So it's like the option to take the better course. And that's, I don't know. That's kind of the way I would look at it is I better just do this. Um, because that's what my faith is about and to not lose hope and to not despair on this, but, but stick with it, even though we can't or maybe not see the full blessings of our prayer on this side of heaven. Well, and also I think another very poignant part of the question or there's, you know, this fear they think, you know, am I being punished or, you know, is my yeah. mother being punished or this or that? And again, I think that's one of the place where if you would just look at the cross and realize that in this, you know, this is uniting, I mean, that's G. Jesus is there on the you know on the cross and he's yeah. there willingly yeah. you know yeah and that um this isn't a matter this is something that that unites us to him even though it's you know maybe very 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 difficult but it's not his rejecting us he comes to us in our suffering he that's that's his humility he comes all the way into Mm-hmm. Every sorrow of the human condition, he wants to be with us, and he is, and most especially is with us there, you know. so Exactly, yeah. So I guess, Father, um, we have to tie it up there. Um, speaking of blessings, would you send us out with one? Of course. Okay. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the, the Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. spirit. Amen. Amen. Hang on to that blessing till next time. We appreciate you all. Send your questions to abidinginhope.com and we'll use them in future shows. God bless.